a confession to make. I was at home this morning, sitting on my couch. And usually when I preach, I get here early so I can go through the sermon. And about 20 after 8, I go, oh, that's right, I'm preaching this morning. So I quickly had to do what I got to do and came here to church. And Yeah, it's different these days, being retired and not preaching all the time. And so it takes a little longer to get ready. And uh, did mom's funeral a couple of weeks ago, and I was surprised how much different it is now to get ready to preach, because not doing it every Sunday. When it was every Sunday, it just came, and now you got to sit down and think and pray through, and Satan's squawking in your ear. Anyhow, it'll be good today to share. I'm going to start with this morning sharing some things that I believe God's been speaking to me over the last two years and some not that long. And then the last thing I will share is what I want to talk about today and we'll go through it very fast today because there's a lot of verses about the stuff. The Lord has been, well, you remember the last Sunday I preached as pastor, senior pastor was about the great divide that's coming about God separating his church and nations and the world. But the whole thing with COVID is just part of the shaking that God's doing to separate his true church from those who name his name, but follow man's philosophies and ways. And we've started down that road as church. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about ours. I'm talking about the church worldwide. And God is doing it to separate his church because there's a lot of stuff going on in churches today that are not the kingdom of heaven. And the shaking is going to continue and there's going to be things that are really going to be disappointing and disgusting that are going to be revealed. And God's word to us is just keep your eyes on me because there's three areas especially that God is going to expose, and that is in the sexual part of church leadership, in the money, the greed part of it, and in the pride, meaning specifically controlling, manipulating, dominating other people. There have been some ministries already who the board of directors have got rid of their leaders because they became very arrogant and condescending to people. And while we don't think about that as character, that as leaders we're supposed to express the Father's heart. And manipulation and control and domineering is not what God is or what God does. And that's just as much corruption as having an affair. So there's going to be some things that don't make us happy in the church, but Understand that God is exposing all of this so that the church is ready to receive a harvest and not corrupt the harvest, okay? So while it may not, we may not enjoy it, it will be for the church's good to do it. Another thing that I believe God has been talking to me about is, is the greater glory in Haggai 2 when he talks about the shaking of the nations 
following the shaking of the nations comes the greater glory. And I believe that as a church worldwide, we are entering into a season of God's greater glory. What does that mean? Well, I don't have all the answers for that, okay? But it's something we haven't experienced. One thing I believe God told me about it was it is the kabod glory, or the kabed, people pronounce it differently, which is the heaviness, the weightiness, the awesomeness of God will come in the meetings. At times it will be scary, unless you know who the Father is. Then you will eat it up. And the Shekinah glory, which is the visible manifestation of the glory of God, when the Israelites walked through the wilderness, there was a pillar of fire at night, the cloud at day, that's the Shekinah glory of God. What all that means in our church services, I don't know. We got some prophetic words about what God wants to do in this church in the future. And he could do it today if he'd like to. But we're going to carry a glory. When Peter walked the streets in Act 5, it says that people were, that were overshadowed by Peter's shadow were healed. I believe it was a visible Shekinah glory cloud that people would get into the shadow of and get touched. The same word is used in the transfiguration of Christ, and it talks about the bright clouds when Jesus was transfigured and a bright cloud came and overshadowed them. And I believe, I believe we're going to see million or millions of those around the world carrying that kind of presence of God. Okay? A couple of weeks ago, God said, I want you to start reading Psalm 103 and staying in it for a while. Because this is what you're going to see. And this is going to be part of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Is we are going to experience Psalm 103. If you read Psalm 103, it's all about the benefits of God. Starts while out with healing or forgiving all your iniquities. Right? I need that. Lots of forgiveness. And who heals all of your diseases. And while we see some healings today, we don't see the kind of healings New Testament church seen. And so, and then it goes on, redeems your life from destruction or the pit, depending on what translation to read. So we're headed into a season in the church, I believe, till Jesus comes back. It's a season of harvest. There'll be billions of people coming into the kingdom around the world. Along with that might come some persecution, and I don't mean people just saying nasty things about Christians. I mean real persecution. And when I, when I think about these things and the things that God says, I'm trying to be very non-American because my perspective is 68 years of North America filled with pleasure and comfort. And God's perspective is eternity, and he, see things, he sees the end from the beginning. And so the way he operates is a whole lot different than my perspective, and so I have to yield to that. If I was born in Bangladesh, I would have a completely different perspective that I do as a North American. If I lived in Mozambique right now with what's going on in Mozambique with persecution, I would view things differently too. So... 
I'm asking God to change my perspective to be like him. I gave him a lifetime. I have sacrificed for him, giving him a lifetime of solutions to problems from my perspective. And instead, he just does what he thinks from his perspective he should do. So, the last thing is the Lord says, watch me and watch my right arm and my right hand. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I just picked some of the verses out and I hope it encourages you. It does me and builds our faith to follow God wherever he goes and whatever he wants to do. When I think about the right arm of God, my mind just goes to Popeye and his big, huge arms. And sometimes we think of the big, huge arm and the left arm is puny. So just let us clarify this. God doesn't love right-handers more than he likes left-handers, okay? But from God's perspective, right hand, as Bree talked about a month ago or whenever she was, she was starting to get in my territory, and I was getting nervous about the right hand of God being power and authority. And so God's saying, watch my power and my authority and what I'm going to do. Because he's going to do things we haven't seen in a long time on earth. And we're going to know it's him. So we're going to start this morning and just talk a little bit about power and authority. And then we'll go to the right hand and the right arm of God. And we'll get out of here by at least 1130, if not earlier. I'm going to start in Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23. Paul's praying for the Ephesians church. And he's talking about God raising Christ from the dead and that power being in us. But we're going to talk today about the authority of Christ to start with and the power of Christ. So God exerted that power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. God raised Christ from the dead. But what I want to notice this morning is where Christ is seated And the fact that Christ is seated. We sit down when the mission is accomplished, right? I'm reciting my house. I sit down a lot of times before it got recited. Okay. The old 68-year-old body doesn't do what it did 30 years ago. So it's taken longer. But we sit down for rest. We sit down when things are accomplished. Christ is no longer accomplishing what God sent him to do on earth. That job is done. Now he's interceding for us and doing other things we probably don't understand. But Christ is seated. Now, we do know one time when Stephen was being martyred, stoned, that he's seen Christ standing up, which I think is so cool. Because Christ knew what Stephen was doing and the commitment of Stephen to him. And it brought him up out of his seat and he was taking notice. Just like today in the eastern part of the world, there are a lot of Christians dying and being persecuted for their belief in Christ. We had a Harvest Alliance, which is the part of the group of churches we're in. We had a Zoom meeting, oh, a week ago, two weeks ago or so, And it was the guy they had that day was Roland Baker from Mozambique and ISIS. 
And he talked about some of what the believers are going through in Mozambique with persecution. And it's gross, disgusting stuff. And yet God gives them grace. And I'm sure Jesus is standing up watching his sons and daughter, his brothers and sisters, his bride being martyred for his name. And people ask him because the bakers are giving away food and stuff. They say, well, how you know you don't have a rice Christian here? Meaning that when Christians give stuff away, everybody's a Christian to get their, their rice in the third world countries. And he says, we know by when the machete comes to the back of their neck, whether they're Christians or not. You know, that's not a bad idea for North America. Is we would find out who's really following Jesus and who's playing the game, trying to get blessings. Amen? So Christ is seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of God, far above, not just above, not just enough to have victory, but far above, way beyond what is needed for victory. He has an abundance, far above all rule or rulers. BJ talked about the sons of God from Genesis 6 and, and uh, from the Mount Hermon and, and all of that stuff. Jesus is far above all of the rulers, all of the authorities, all of the powers, all the dominions in the realm of the darkness. Jesus is seated far above and has more power and more authority than anything they can do. Remember Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. Jesus said, God's given me all authority in heaven and earth. The only authority that the rulers and the authorities and the powers and dominions have is what man gives them in their lives. And when you quit giving them authority, things start to change. Now that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight because we get revelation as time goes on and God speaks to our heart things and we have to make some adjustments in life. But you can quote that verse I just quoted from Matthew 18, 28 and not live it. You can give Satan authority in your life. You can believe lies and those lies will give him authority in your life to make your life miserable. We have friends that are going through hard times in marriages and relationships, but they're doing it the world's way. They're doing it their way. They're full of selfishness and self-centeredness. And then, well, we just can't make this work. There is a way to do this if you want to humble yourself to God's word and God's ways. Not trying to condemn or put down anybody that's divorced, but I'm just saying there's the word of God and when we give it authority in our lives and we give the Holy Spirit authority, we start adjusting some things within us and it's never fun and it's never easy. And every name or title that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. This authority of Christ is complete. It's complete for eternity. There is nothing who can stand up to Christ. No one, or thing, or philosophy, 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him which fills everything in every way. You can take those last two verses and preach a sermon just on those last two verses. But Christ is the head of us at Cold Springs. Christ is the head of the church of Kalkaska. Thank God the church of Kalkaska gets along. And we can do picnics together and service things together. And worship together. Because Christ is the head of the body and the body is the fullness of everything. Some people put down the church today. I understand churches aren't perfect. There's imperfect people in church and there better be imperfect people in churches. Churches need to be hospitals, right? We're growing in Christ and some of us grow from really hurt places in life. And so God is is healing us and moving us up and it's a slow process. But we are Christ's body. In fact, in Romans 12, it says we're members one of another. Now, that is not, that's not easy for a North, northern Michigan person to hear because we are very independent and very individualistic up here, right? It goes for generations for us back. When mom and dad moved here, they had to be independent and learn to work and make things happen. And they came over in the 40s. How about the guys in the 19, early 1900s, late 1800s that came? It's inbred in us to be individualistic, to be independent. And yet God's word says, no, in a body we become members one of another. That means you got influence in my life. And I got influence in your life. I don't have the clicker. So what does all that authority of Christ have to do with us? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Are we standing or are we seated with Christ? The work's been done, right? We're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. You got your butt in a nice soft chair this morning, and I enjoy these chairs. But you're also in heaven this morning seated. Your perspective. Is your perspective down here or is your perspective up there? Seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. That means we're seated beside Christ who is seated on the right hand of the Father. Speaking of authority and power that is in our lives. What we have to do is learn to use that power and authority and leave self out of it. And use it for the kingdom. Don't shout me down. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Talking about Jesus and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even the death on the cross. Talking about the humility of Christ and how low Christ went. We think of the suffering on the cross physically. We don't think of the suffering on the cross spiritually when he took on sin 
that is just the opposite of who he is. And he suffered the shame and the guilt and the separation of sin. That kind of stuff, we will never understand its completeness, probably till we get over to heaven. So different for God. Therefore, because Christ humbled himself so low and carried out the purpose of the Father, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's our Jesus. That's the one we serve. That's our bridegroom. That's who we're living eternity with, and eternity has already started in our lives, right? Because we're already in the kingdom of heaven. We don't get to see the fullness of it, the full expression of it, but we are learning to live in it. So, I did all of that to talk about power and authority because of the right hand of God or the right arm of God. So, we're going to run through some verses here. They're going to bless you. And we need to be ready to recognize these things when they happen in our lives. And we need to know who to run to. And just before we get into this, just let me say this. I believe in healing. It's in the word. It's in the atonement. When you read Isaiah 53, it's there. I don't know why everybody doesn't get healed. From my perspective, I think everybody ought to be healed. But as I've already said, God's is eternal. Mine's really short. Mine's all about living on earth. He's got a lot more things to look at and consider. New Testament, when Jesus walked the earth, anybody that came to him was healed, right? He didn't heal everybody, but the ones that came to him, he healed. Would I love to see that in churches? Yes. Do we? No. Probably a lot of different reasons we don't. So I'm not putting down healing at all this morning. But many times our desire for healing is based on our comfort and pleasure. Values in life rather than on the kingdom of heaven and glory to the Father. Amen? We are given the comfort and pleasure in North American Christianity. Not against comfort and pleasure, but when it gets to be out of priorities, then it hinders God. In 2 Timothy 3, 5 or so, it says... In the last days, people would become lovers of pleasure rather than God having a form of godliness. They know how to go to church. They know how to run the right programs, da-da-da. But they deny the power thereof. That verse scares me, to be honest with you. And God and I wrestle over that verse. Is why don't we see the power that we've seen in Acts happen today in America? And maybe the problem is pleasure is too high up in a priority in our life. And spending time with the Father and getting his heart is not a high enough priority. 
Just throwing that out there. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. This is from the song of Moses in Exodus 15. He's talking about when Pharaoh was chasing the Philistines after they, or the Philistines, the Israelites, after they got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was behind them and the Red Sea was in front of them and disaster was going to happen. And Moses, instead of complaining, goes to God and says, what do I do now? And God says, take your rod and stick it up over the sea. While everybody else is complaining and thinking they're going to die, the one who heard God got the solution. Amen? You're complaining and murmuring don't do you any good. What we've got to do is learn to be quiet and listen. And God will give us solutions. But when you're murmuring and complaining, you're not going to hear God. You're going to hear self. So the Israelites walked across on dry ground. Pharaoh came in and they were going to run through this sea too on dry ground with their chariots. And today they find the wheels of the chariots in the Red Sea. Because they never got out to the other side. And Moses is remembering that. And he says, God, you're majestic in power. How do you describe majestic? I'm not sure. The one word I like about majestic or majesty is superior. God was superior in power. His right hand was superior in power to the Egyptians. And your right hand shattered the enemy. Shattered them. You just didn't win victory, but you shattered them. You wiped them out. They were left in pieces. Because you moved your right hand. And man thinks he's so big until he confronts an almighty God. The right arm of God is something that is so powerful. The right hand of God. And, and yeah, we've seen it at times move in church history. There's times we call revival when God moves and we see marvelous things happen. We read Acts. We're going to see this stuff again. And we're going to see impossible situations. And God furnishes a solution. And God brings the victory. A couple of verses down. Who is like you? Or who among gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? I just had to throw that verse in there. I mean, you could take a day and just meditate on that verse. This is the kind of God we serve. When our dependence is on him. This is the kind of God that comes through for us. He may not come through the way the results we want to happen. Okay, when I pray, I usually got a result in my mind I'm looking for. Once again, it's from 68 years of living in North America. So it may not be heavenly. God will bring the right result, the right solution in our life if we will yield to him. We may not like it. I don't like it that Carol died. I think God should have healed her and gave her another 10 years. But that's my perspective. When my brother died, he was 62 or so, and I didn't think it was time for him to go, but God did. 
And God showed him what he was going to, and he changed his mind real fast about leaving earth. And he went, and that helped change my mind about my perspective. Maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture very well. You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. Once again, the power and authority, and God coming through for his purposes and his kids, and what he wants to bring about. In your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. Anybody here redeemed this morning? And if you're redeemed, the Father's unfailing love will lead you. If you want to listen and go his way. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So where is God leading us? To where his presence is. That may be in a church, that may be in your house, that may be in the car going to town, that may be when you're working. But God takes his sons to his presence, to his dwelling places. Psalm 16:11. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. The presence of God will bring you joy. Joy is something that gets expressed with a smile on our face, with a chuckle, with a laugh. People get all upset when there's laughter in the church, and I say, just read this verse. God fills us with joy when his presence, when we're in his presence. He doesn't fill us with sadness. Now, you may weep tears of joy or tears of healing when this stuff is going on. That's fine. But joy is a characteristic of the presence of God, just like peace is. But the next phrase is what we're after. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. At the right hand of God, there is pleasure So let me ask you this question. Whose pleasure are you seeking? Is it the pleasures of earth? Or is it the pleasures of God that come from his right hand? Be honest. God already knows. You might as well be honest with him. Once again, I'm not against earthly pleasure and comfort. I'm just asking the question, which one are we seeking the most? Because the pleasures of God are eternal. They are heavenly. There is no sin involved in it. The sin will come when we elevate those pleasures above his face. Right? So the right hand of God provides pleasure for us. So the next time you get bored in your journey with God, meditate on the fact that he gives us pleasure, eternal pleasure, a pure, holy pleasure that brings life to us and takes nothing from us. Isaiah forty-eight thirteen. 
my own hand laid the foundations of earth. Does anybody understand how the foundations of earth were laid? What was all involved in it? You know, Job was crying out from his perspective and how wrong was Job? And God said, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Can you tell me how you did this? No. Job can't, Brent can't. I doubt if you can. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I summoned them, they all stand up together. My right hand spread out the heavens. We don't even know how big the heavens are yet. We put Hubble up there in the sky so we could see further. And then we send vehicles out as far as we can send them. And we can't find the ends of the heavens. We find new stuff all the time out there. The right hand of God just... He knows, it says in Psalm 147-ish, I know their names. Not only did I spread them out, I know their names, each one of them. And we can't even count them all yet. And they're finding stuff out beyond Pluto and Uranus that they didn't even know was there before. And they're asking new questions that they never had to ask before about things because of the right hand of God. We live, we are specks on a blue speck in the universe. Universes, in a universe of the universes. And yet God loves us desperately. Remember, Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 says, Before the foundation of the church, or the foundation of the world, I chose you to be holy and blameless. For the, I predestinated you to be adopted as sons. Before he spread out the heavens, before he laid the foundation of the earth, we were already chosen. You were already chosen to be a son of God. To go along with that, Isaiah 45, 18. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he formed it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited, he says. I am the Lord and there is no other. So why did God create the earth? God did not create the earth and then decide to put something on the earth. God created the earth because he had chose you and me and he needed a place for us to live. We got an awesome God. He goes beyond our thinking. And when Satan tells you you're not important, you need to know some of these verses and say, no, I was chosen before the foundation of the earth. And God put together the foundation of the earth and spread out the stars so I could live on earth and be his son. Who are you to tell me my worth? Amen? Isaiah 41.10 
So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. What's the right hand of God do? Strengthens us. Is there anybody here this morning who has lived life and never needed the strength of God? We all go through battles of life, don't we? We all go through the hard times of life. Most of us have experienced loved ones dying. Probably the hardest battle we face. They're dead, they're gone, we don't have them anymore to love on, for them to love on us. No more communication with them. The loneliness is hard. We miss them. But there is a strength as we walk through that process. That is amazing. I remember my father, when his father died, saying something to the effect that it wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it would be because God came through for me so much. And when my father died and when my brother died and when my mother died, I say the same thing. Now, part of it is the hope that we carry, right? But God, the God of all comfort, comforts us so that we may comfort others. When a little child is sick and you're the parent and your prayer is God heal them, And I'll take the sickness. Those are hard times to walk through. And some parents have kids with cancer. And they die. And you know I can list the deaths that I had to walk through. But I never had to walk through a grandchild. Or a child's death. And I. I imagine you walk through it the same way. I don't know. But man. That would be hard. But God promises strength and he promises us help and he will uphold us with his righteous right hand. With a hand that always does what is right. There's a confidence that we can have when we meet things we don't understand and we don't have solutions to, but we have a God who loves us, who wants to be involved in our life and walk through it with us. And we all walk through times of life, different areas where We don't have answers, and sometimes we're just tired of fighting the fight. And he's still there upholding us. Isaiah, Psalm 1835. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. Your right hand sustains me.
your right hand carries me through when I'm not strong enough to walk it anymore. When I'm so tired of fighting the battles of life, you're the one that comes in and sustains me and carries me through it and leads me to victory. Now, once again, that victory may not look what we would choose for it to look like. But you can know that when you go through and you're obedient and hang on to what he is doing, you will come out with great victory. And you will come out changed. You will come out more heavenly than earthly when you entered it. Because God's at work in you teaching you how to live out sonship and trust the Father. When the Red Sea is before you and Pharaoh's behind you, you've got to remember whose son you are. There's a reason why when people died in the Reformation time, they had to start cutting out their tongues when they killed them. It's because they were worshiping and praising the Lord or they were preaching salvation to others around them as they were dying. Stephen, when he was dying, saw Jesus standing up. God sustained him through the rocks. I don't know if he failed him or not. I don't know when his spirit left his body, but he was getting ready. The, the veil between heaven and earth for Stephen, when the stones are flying, was gone. When you face death, who upholds you? Who sustains you? I've seen people die. And I've seen them do it with peace and dignity. Because they knew their Lord. And they were just stepping over. I went and prayed for a lady in the hospital once. Her son came to church. And she was an Eastern European. And she was in America. And she was in the hospital just all nervous. And Dennis said, can you come over and pray with mom? So I did. And her whole family's in there. And she's agitated and moving around. And I just said wasn't my prayer, okay? It was God doing it in the Holy Spirit. But I just said, God, give her the peace. I said, she was a Christian. I said, listen, you're saved. This is all taken care of. You're just going to leave here and go there. And the peace that hit her and the unsaved children and grandchildren were amazed because it was just instant. She went from the agitation to just peacefulness. And a smile broke out on her face. And the family's like, wow, wow, wow. And it's like, you guys, there's some truth here you need to grab. I was praying for a lady once, Di's aunt. And the family called me, thought she was going to die, but the home health nurse came in and said, oh, she's got seven days, two weeks to live. I went and prayed with her after the, the nurse left. She died when I was praying for her peace. She just stepped over because she knew God sustained her and God upheld her. And that's the biggest fight we're ever going to fight, isn't it? The stepping into the unknown, the experience that, but are we going to take God's hand and walk with us? See, at 68, that's a lot more real than it was when I was 38, okay? I still had dreams when I was 38. 68, my dream is, well, that's not too bad stepping over now. Joshua 4.24. 
talking about crossing the Jordan River and the miracle God did there. He did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God or reverence the Lord your God. So that the peoples of earth See, there's going to be a harvest happen, and one of the ways God's going to grab the attention of the lost is by moving powerfully with his hand. And when he does that, it's going to cause a reverence in their lives for God. It's going to have to happen in the church, too, because the church has lost its reverence for God. Not everybody parts of it have. We have put our own philosophies and our own ways of thinking above the word. And we get in trouble. Because we don't reverence God. We reverence our own ideas and man's ideas above God. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done Mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Amen. Who do you run to to do the mighty things? Man's way or God's way? That's the choice we live with. When the spouse does something we don't like, how do we respond? God's way and make room for God's mighty hand to work? Or do I respond Brent's way and escalate things? And then we see the devil's hand working because we open the door wide open. When somebody pulls out right in front of me in the road and there's no cars behind me. And then they take their sweet time speeding up and going. And there's cars coming so you can't get past. It's an, etern- it's an internal work of God in my life. To cause me to become more patient and bless those who I would not normally bless. We've been working on this one for years. I don't know if we ever get past it. Even at times I hear my wife sputter a little bit when it happens. If I would be thinking about the mighty hand of God and what God is doing... This stuff is nothing that aggravate me and work on my patience. If I would focus on the big things of God and what he's doing, the little things of earth that perturb me in people, in the selfishness and the self-centeredness of people in America, including me, we would get past some of this stuff. Because as long as it's about me, we're not going to see the mighty right arm of God. 
hand of God move in our lives. Except in the battle of me dying to self. Which is probably the greatest battle we ever fight, right? If anybody here is past fighting self and self-centeredness, please come and pray for me and teach me how you surpassed all of that stuff. The older I get, the more God centers on that in my life. Because I can walk in the joy in the presence of God because his right hand is mighty. And he has deliverance and victory for everything in my life. His way. Not my way. And then I get ungrateful for his right hand because his right hand did not do it the way I thought he should do it. Y'all with me? Or don't you guys do this stuff? Am I just your classic sinner that is worse than everybody else and I have to fight these fights? I'm looking forward to seeing this stuff. Okay, and if I die before this, Before the harvest happens, I will see greater things anyhow. So either way, I'm going to be a winner here. But I challenge you to run to God and say, teach me about your right hand and your right arm and what you're going to do. Go read Psalm 103 and say, God, speak to me. What what is your heart about this? What do you want to do on earth? And then let's give ourselves to him. Maybe it's nothing more than prayer. Maybe it's just learning to walk in a little higher level of love than we have walked before. Maybe it's a matter of just spending some more time in his presence or in the busyness of life, learning to take moments out to acknowledge him, especially for yourself, and say, no, 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 I'm a son of God. This busyness and this chaos does not have authority over me. I walk in peace and joy. Even when things look dim around me. Because I have a God who is on my side and will only give me the good things. We talk about the goodness of God and I totally agree. God is good. But God is good from heaven's perspective which does not always line up with the earth's perspective. What I think God's goodness is and should be in my life is not always what heaven says is good for Brent. Because I'm committed to comfort and pleasure and convenience. God's committed to growing me up as a son. And it doesn't always feel good. So, whatever we're going through in life now, I want you to know that there is a God who upholds you and sustains you and will come to fight for you but it may not look the way you want it to look. And usually when Brent takes an action that's Brent's, it gets in the way of what God's trying to do and prolongs the situation because I monkeyed it up again. So be encouraged. God is on your side. He is working in your life. He will accomplish his purposes in your life through you because he's a mighty God full of authority and power and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places which is at the right hand of God. Amen?
Easy to talk about, a lot harder to live out. Let's pray. Oh, we love you, Daddy. You are so good to us. Your desire for sonship, for family, before the earth was created. And you knew us. And you knew, it says in Acts 17, you knew the nation, the time, the places we would be living. We can't understand that, but your mind is just so far past us that all that stuff just is in place. Thank you for your right hand. I thank you for your unfailing love. I thank you that you, whatever happens in our lives, you turn around and make it good for us. And we may not see that good as we're walking through it, and we may not understand that good for years in our life, sometimes decades in our life. But we will see the wisdom and the love of you in our lives as we look back at those hard times. And as we look back, we see how you sustained us and you upheld us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for your patience of working with us and taking us through the hard times of life. Times of betrayal by people, times of death, times of financial ruin, whatever they are in our lives. That you care, Father. That you're at work. Working for your sons and your daughters. Sometimes in natural ways we can't see, and other times it's in supernatural ways that we sit and we see it and we're amazed. Because of your unfailing love. Because you're a father who pities his children. And we give you thanks for it. We thank you that Jesus is exalted today above every other name and every ruler, authority, power, dominion is under, far under the authority that is given to Jesus. Father, bless our community picnic today. As churches gather together, we thank you, Lord, that we are in a community where churches work together, where pastors love each other and care for each other. We give you thanks for that. We're blessed, Lord, in Kalkaska to have that. So bless the, the food, bless the fellowship there, bless the church as it gathers together. In Jesus' name.